Hello, 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 and welcome to What's the Topic Again podcast. I am your co-host, Deborah Love. And I am your other co-host, Imaria, a.k.a. Mars on the Internet. And today we're going to be discussing just uh, people that made history, in my opinion, in their own field or forthright, got recognition for it as uh, black people, ethnic people, though. Uh, we're just going to talk about a couple of those for this podcast episode. And it's not because we're running out of ideas or anything like that. We just want to give recognition as many people as we can, especially for this month, because we really, really, really always wanted to do this in the first place. And I say give all honor, praise, one there at the time to give them their flowers. But we're still going to continue breathing life into what they've done mm-hmm. for black american history mm-hmm. i yeah. agree i agree and um just in general um hopefully by the time we are recording this and the following week anyway we'll have like our podcast a special of, guest. yeah our special guest of i know we said this week is gonna happen but no 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 but we'll we'll see about it we'll see like i said yeah. we're gonna let you know specifically um in our community tab and also our in a blog post as well when that's going to be uploaded. So uh, we're going to get started and go to our first person. Alrighty, Mama, start the talking because everybody loves your voice. (laughs) At least you should have said, oh, and we'll take a break and come back and get started on blah, blah, blah. But you didn't. You just went our first person. And if you... Listen to the podcast last week. You know that I was really geeked up, leaning towards <laughs> a certain individual. So I wanted to um, make sure that I recognize him, give him his flowers, give him some re- at least a little bit more recognition mm-hmm. as far as what he's done for us. So the first person that we are going to talk about is Thurgood Marshall. Give it up for Thurgood She's showing the picture like I ain't going to show it through editing. (laughs) So Thurgood Marshall was instrumental in ending legal segregation and became the first African-American justice of the Supreme Court Mm -hmm. of the United States. Yay! (laughs) He was born in 1908. He passed away in 1933. So who was Thurgood Marshall? Thurgood Marshall was an American lawyer who was appointed as an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court in 1967. Mm-hmm. I was just, just thought about. <laughs> <laughs> he was the first African-American to hold the position and served for 24 years until 1991. Marshall studied law at Howard University. So we just talked about, talked Howard, about Howard University w- last week. was anyway. one of the top 25 mm-hmm. um, HBCUs mm-hmm. in 2024. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I want to say how was the was the, was it they in our think top, top five, uh, t- top five, top ten, and one of them. Yeah, yeah. So as counsel to the NAACP, he utilized the, the judiciary to champion equality for African Americans. In 1954, he won the Brown, and I did go back and correct. Yeah, it. we did in the comments, yeah. and I did pin it, and it it will be proof on screen that right. she did correct right. it herself anyway. Yeah. He won the Brown versus Board of Education case in which the Supreme Court ended racial segregation in public schools. Which that is always and forever will be an accomplishment in my opinion. Definitely. Marshall died in 
Marshall was born on July 2nd, 1908 in Baltimore, Maryland. His father, William Marshall, was the grandson of an enslaved person who worked as a steward at an exclusive club, and his mother, Norma, Norma, was a kindergarten teacher. One of William's favorite pastimes was to listen to cases at the local courthouses before returning home to rehash the lawyer's arguments with his sons. Thurgood later recalled, Now you want to know how I got involved in law. I don't know. The nearest I can get is that my dad, my brother, and I had the most violent arguments you ever heard about anything. I guess we argued five out of seven nights of the at the dinner table. <laughs> So his dad would go listen mm-hmm. to court cases and bring them back to his sons. And then he they said, we're going to have a trial right now. <laughs> right, right. State your case. State your other case. And we're going to figure it out. So Thurgood Marshall attended, attended Baltimore's Colored High School and training school, later renamed Frederick Douglass High School, mm. where he was an above-average student and put his finely honed skills of arguments to use as a star member of the debate team. I can I I can see that. Yeah. Because you already debated you with, already your, with your dad and your brother, so you already started at that home. You can do for fun now, right, you know. Right. So the teenage Marshall was also something of a mischievous mischievous troublemaker. His greatest high school accomplishment memorizing the entire United States Constitution. That's the whole thing. I only can say the preamble. Preamble. That's he memorized it. the entire thing. That's a lot of words up in there. I know that and for sure. That was actually a teacher's punishment for misbehaving in class. <laughs> wow. He said, "Well, I guess you know, since I've been in here a couple of times, I might as well just right. le- I just learned it off grid. I guess I don't know." So after graduating from high school, um, I'm gonna cut that out. I'm sorry. Yeah, after graduating from high school in 1926, Marshall attended Lincoln University, a historically black college. In I'm like, that's another one that we also mentioned yep. as well. Yep. There, he joined a remarkably distinguished student body that included Kwame. What's it? Nicara. We we're gonna spell that out. Kwame. Was, I, I got no. the first part. The future president of Ghana, poet Langston Hughes, mm. and jazz singer Cab Calloway. No, oh, I like jazz music, and I oh, heard yeah. of his name before. Yeah, he's very, very good. Mm-hmm. So after graduating from Lincoln with honors in 1930, Marshall applied to the University of Maryland Law School. Despite being overqualified academically, Marshall was rejected because of his race. This firsthand experience with discrimination in education made a lasting impression on Marshall and helped determine the future course of his career. Instead of Maryland, Marshall attended law school at Washington, D.C. at Howard University, mm-hmm. another historically black school. The dean of Howard Law School at the time was the pioneer civil rights lawyer Charles Houston. Marshall quickly fell under the tutelage of Houston a notorious disciplinarian and extraordinarily demanding professor. Marshall recalled of Houston, he would not be satisfied until he went to a dance on the campus and found all of his students sitting around the wall reading law books instead of partying. <laughs> <laughs> they said, we love school too much. <laughs> right. Oh, we're going to be at this party, but we ain't paying attention to y'all. We're going we gonna to be reading some law books. <laughs> Marshall grad- graduated magna cum laude, from uh, Howard in 1933. Mm-hmm. He briefly attempted to establish his own practice in Baltimore, but without experience, he failed. 
to land any significant cases. And I'm sure that had was just the early with, part of his life, though. I'm sure that had something to do with his blackness. Of course. A little bit, and probably just, you know, some cases probably were tough back then. You're not like it's art nowadays, but still. Uh, he had some tough cases. Yeah, I must say, but my thing is somebody has to have some faith in him to do them tough cases. Right, right. Well, first it got to hear about that you winning some tough cases right. in order for them to put their... I guess you say the trust. Yeah, the trusting you. That you're going to defend them or mm-hmm. them well. or Because um, he was a defense attorney or he's just an attorney, period. He was just, an attorney. Okay. Okay, so here come some of his court cases. All right. In 1934, Marshall began um, working for the Baltimore branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, known as the NAACP. Mm-hmm. In 1936, Marshall moved to New York City. Um, to work full-time as legal counsel for the NAACP over several decades. Marshall augured and won a variety of cases to strike down many forms of legalized racism, helping to inspire the American Civil Rights Movement. Some of his court cases was Murray v. Pearson. Mm-hmm. And the Murray v. Pearson case is in one of Marshall's first cases, which he argued alongside his mentor, Charles Houston, he defended another well-qualified undergraduate, Donald Murray, who, like himself, had been denied entrance to the University of Maryland Law School. Mm-hmm. Marshall and Houston won Murray versus Pearson in January 1936, the first in a long string of cases designed to undermine the legal basis for, just say, racial, racial segregation in the United States. Mm-hmm. All right, another one in this case is Chambers versus Florida. Mm-hmm. Marshall's first victory before the Supreme Court um, came in Chambers versus Florida, 1940, in which he successfully defended four black men who had been convicted of murder on the basis of confessions coerced from, from them by police. Not like we haven't still heard these type of things right. till this day. To this day, yeah. No sense. Smith versus Allwright, another crucial Supreme Court victory for Marshall, came in 1944 in the 1944 case of Smith versus Allwright, in which the court struck down the Democratic Party's use of white people-only primary elections in various southern states. Mm. Still going through some stuff like that, too. They mm-hmm. trying to break down lines. One of his main ones was Brown versus the Board of Education, the great achievement of Marshall's career as a civil rights lawyer was his victory in the landmark 1954 Supreme Court case Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka. Mm-hmm. The class action lawsuit was filed on behalf of a group of black parents in Topeka, Kansas, whose children were forced to attend all black segregated schools. Mm-hmm. Through Brown versus Board, one of the most important cases of the 20th century, Marshall challenged head-on the legal underpinning of racial segregation, the doctrines of separate but equal, established by the 1896 Supreme Court case, Plessy v. Ferguson. Mm-hmm. I remember, remember that. Ferguson. I remember that being taught in, my, um, in one of my government classes when uh, I was going to have it to do online school specifically. I think I was yeah. like in the 10th grade or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Do you remember the case? I don't remember the case that well, but I know if you read it, I'll be like, yep, that does come back to my mind. If I can remember it well, it was um, 
a black man who right. passed as white race uh-huh. on the train. He was in the white seats compared to being in the black area, if I can remember that right. I remember the first bit, like what you just said. Yeah. I do remember that, but on the sense of the rest, that doesn't. We're going to look it up we, 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 because we, I like stuff like this. Yeah. Challenging my mindset. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, that first bit does sound familiar. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not because on the sense of like Rose Parks or anything like that. It's more sense of how it was back then. And yeah. Just in general. It was light skin. They yeah. thought it was white. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's what that's, yeah. that's why I came to my mind was specifically like that. So, yeah, I don't remember it being a train, though, but I don't know. We can pull it up. Yeah. You, I mean, you can pull it up tonight. Okay, yeah. Well, right now I'm saying tonight, but you can pull it up. <laughs> but, well, as we recording on the sense of like yeah, that. Yeah, and we can and just I'll do... probably have it editing specifically for y'all to read through it, pause and read it. But if you just want to know, I'll probably uh, leave a link in the description for our audio listeners specifically for that case that you I want to know yeah. inquiring minds want to know like me yeah but it just for y'all to know so here there you go anyway so on forward. May 17th 1954 the Supreme Court unanimously ruled that separate educational facilities are inherently unequal and therefore racial segregation of public schools violated the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment mm-hmm. while enforcement of the courts ruling Proved to be uneven and painfully slow. Mm-hmm. Brown versus board is well. Brown versus board provided the legal foundation and much of it, of the inspiration for the American Civil Rights Movement that unfolded over the next decade. At the same time, the case established Marshall as one of the most successful and prominent lawyers in America. Mm-hmm. Go ahead on third good. You know yeah. I like you. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, y'all go get sick of these hand classes. <laughs> right. Pictures, pictures. Who wants there he to see go pictures? in his Supreme Court justice robe. <laughs> iconic picture. I think it's more. I think it's in like a museum in it. Yeah, yeah. That's an iconic one. Yeah, yeah. So Thurgood Marshall, the first African American Supreme Court justice, played a vital part in ending legal segregation mm-hmm. during the Civil Rights Movement mm-hmm. through the landmark 1954 case of Brown versus Board of Education. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one of his cases, uh, well, no, circuit court, ju- circuit court judge and solicitor general. This is some political um, positions that he held, mm-hmm. and this was during some a part of um, some presidential administrations. Oh, okay. So in 1961, newly elected President John F. Kennedy appointed Marshall as a judge for the United States Second Circuit Court of Appeals. Serving as a circuit circuit court judge over the next four years, Marshall issued more than 100 decisions, none of which was overturned by the Supreme Court. Whoa. So what he said <laughs> was bond. Yeah, that's how I was like, ooh. Right. <laughs> and I'm sure with whatever he done and how he did it, he was make sure that it was done in the right way where you wouldn't Thoroughly. have you wouldn't have a reason to go and take it to the Supreme right. Court like, to it, overturn it. it. He, he was thorough in my opinion. Exactly. I think I don't know if I read like the case from head to toe at one point at least one of his cases that he'd done or even on the sense of probably an old recording or something of a case that happened. Mm-hmm. That man was thorough. 
you get oh, you have rarities when certain like defense or even uh what's the other type of attorneys again? prosecutor prosecutors uh just some of them are thorough everything like and they do it on the sense of like building up almost like a storyteller type of way yeah. to build up like where what really happened more sense and why are we here collectively trying to say who did or didn't do it? You know what I mean? And then you have to have those laws that's going to back up right. what you're saying. Right, So, definitely. I love court cases. You can't tell. <laughs> In 1965, Kennedy Kennedy's successor, Linda B. Johnson, appointed Marshall to serve as the first black U.S. solicitor general. Mm-hmm. The attorney um, designated to argue on behalf of the federal government before the Supreme Court. Well. Hmm. <laughs> so during his two years as Solicitor General, Marshall won 14 of the 19 cases that he argued before the Supreme Court. Well, Can't mess with that. Yeah. Booyah. Yeah, like, that's a weapon right there. Right? <laughs> Ain't no person. That's a weapon. Like, <laughs> here you go. Here he is. <laughs> Everybody is shaking in their boots like, oh, Lord. Yeah, oh, who, 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 who am I going up against? <laughs> Thurgood Marshall. Oh, my. But just think, <laughs> out of 19 cases, 14 of them, he won. Yeah. That's that a is, high that number. That is a high percentage. Yeah. That is a high percentage. Yeah. Um, in 1967, President Johnson nominated Marshall to serve on the bench before which he has successfully argued so many times before the United States Supreme Court. So on October 2nd, 1967, Marshall was sworn in as the Supreme Court Justice becoming the first African-American to serve on the nation's highest court. (laughs) Marshall joined a liberal Supreme Court headed by Chief Justice Earl Warren, which aligned with Marshall's views on politics and the Constitution. As a Supreme Court Justice, Marshall consistently supported rulings upholding strong protection of individual rights and liberal interpretations of controversial social issues. Mm-hmm. He was part of the majority that ruled in favor of the right to abortion in the landmark 1973 case Grove versus Wade. So I was somewhat on the right track with yeah. that, but that was not a case <laughs> that he done by his own. So yeah. he was a Supreme Court Justice as far as Roe versus Wade. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Clarification. Yeah. That's all that is, you know. Among several other cases. So in nineteen se- in the 1972 case, Furman versus Georgia, mm-hmm. yeah, which led to a de facto morator- moratorium. I had to think about that. Moratorium <laughs> on the death penalty. Marshall articulated his opinion that the death penalty was unconstitutional in all circumstances. Marshall's 24-year tenure on the court, Republican president appointed eight consecutive justices, and Marshall gradually became an isolated liberal member of an increasingly conservative court. So for the latter part of his time on the bench, Marshall was largely relegated to issuing strongly worded dissents as the court reinstated the death penalty and limited affirmative action measures and abortion rights. Marshall retired from the Supreme Court in 1991, and Justice Clarence Thomas replaced him. Another black justice Mm, replaced him. Personal life and wife. So Marshall married Vivian Buster 
Bury in 1929, and the couple remained married until his death in 19, until her death in 1955. Um, shortly thereafter, Marshall married Cecilia Sawyer, his secretary at the NAACP. The couple had two sons together, Thurgood Jr. and John Marshall. Marshall died on January 24, 1993, at the tender young age of 84. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> right. So some of the things that he did as far as his legacy, he did stand alongside uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X as one of the greatest and most important figures of the American Civil Rights Movement. Although he may be the least popularly celebrated out of the three, Marshall was arguably the most instrumental in the movement's achievements mm-hmm. toward racial equality. Mm-hmm. Marshall's strategy of attacking racial inequality through the courts represented a third way of pursuing racial equality, mm-hmm. more pragmatic than Keynes' soaring rhetoric and less polemical than Malcolm X's strident separatism. <laughs> so, and Right. In the aftermath of Marshall's death, an obituary read, We make movies about Malcolm X. We get a holiday to honor Dr. Martin Luther King. But every day we live with the legacy of Justice Thurgood Marshall. That's nice to hear. I say yes. We do because he have really done some things. So give it up for Thurgood Marshall. Uh I got one more Come on, come on, come on. We give it up for that. Give it okay, up for we that. give it up for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it up. They did make a movie about him. Uh, so that that's the extraness. This is the yeah. little extra bit. I'm talking about talking about his and whole life. I watched the movie too. <laughs> okay. It was really good. I'm gonna say really talk good. about his whole life right there. We give a hand clap to that. <laughs> right. So in the 2017, the biopic film Marshall was released in 2017. And guess who played Marshall? Wakanda Forever. Oh, the bless Chadwick, his heart. Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman. Rest his soul. And um, I guess I guess you probably would think of his name. He was Olaf. I can't think of his name. Josh Gad. Okay. He was in there. The movie was good. And Kate Hudson. Oh, Kate Hudson. Okay. Yep. So the movie focuses on an obscure, obscure 1941 rape case. Brought by Eleanor Strubin, a 32-year-old white woman, against her 32-year-old black chauffeur, Joseph Spell. While Spell initially confessed to the crime after 16 hours of interrogation, he later said the encounter was consensual. Meaning that he and the white lady had a relationship. So during the trial, the judge allowed Marshall to assist his white co-attorney, but banned him from speaking. He couldn't speak a single word in the courtroom, but he could assist in the case. So Josh Gad was the attorney that he really had to motivate to talk, because if I can remember the movie well, he got so... He didn't have that confidence in himself. Mm. You know, so, uh, following 12 hours of deliberation, the jury of six men and six women, women came back with a not guilty verdict on that black man. Oh, wow, wow. Because they had the facts. Mm-hmm. And she finally had to confess. I'm like, 
Go Mar- ahead, Chadwick. <laughs> but go ahead, Marshall. I'm about to say, bless his soul. Uh, rest his soul, Chadwick Boseman. I love his his whole acting career. In my opinion, he had he had good works. But with that, with you that. know, even leading up to uh, his passing, he had put out so. I know this is thing. Like his movies. whole, I'm like his whole. Like, going through opinion, what he was going through. Yeah, discography of like his acting career is is just a it's a masterpiece to look at. But in my opinion. for a short period, yeah. that he was here, yeah. you know. God like, bless us yeah. with a, a great person. But I'm going to end on that note with um, Thurgood Marshall. You just did Thurgood Marshall. All righty. Uh, do you want to take a break and take a sippy of water first before you talk about the next person? You want to read a couple of his quotes, don't Thurgood Marshall got some quotes. <laughs> she loves quotes. She's probably going to write one on her I'm board. Gonna, I'm going to keep one of these. Yep. <laughs> There is very little truth in the old refrain that one cannot legislate equality. He proved that. Right. Because he, he definitely did that. Yeah. To those of us who know that struggle is far from over, history has another lesson. It tells us how deeply rooted habits of prejudice are. That's deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. What's wrong with me? I'm old. I'm getting old and coming apart. That was on announcing his retirement. Oh. <laughs> Equal means getting the same thing at the same time and in the same place. That one I'm going to write down. <laughs> I'm going to write now, that I mean, one down. I, that's not only just saying by race. That's just anything in my opinion nowadays. Because yeah. people are just so divided and so quick-witted that they can't think just for themselves, selfish people now. I'm sorry. Anyway, move forward. <laughs> All right. So this is the last one I'm going to read because he got a lot of quotes. None of us got where we are solely by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We got here because somebody, a parent, a teacher, an Ivy League crony, or a few nuns bent down and helped, a, and helped us pick up our boots. Someone had to help you, had to open up the door, had to do something for That's you what I was for like, you to get mm. there. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> You're like I, I'm geeked up and I don't, I'm like, I don't put keep the paper talking. down on third good, but that's okay. That's that's. But we got a show to do, Mama. We know, got a show to do. <laughs> I can do a whole hour or more on him. Yeah, but Mama was gonna take a sip of water before she continues on. So we're gonna take a short little break and we'll be right back. Are you ready, Mother? I am ready with the second person I want to shed some light on because we don't hear too much about her, but a movie finna come out about her. Yeah. Called Shirley. Mm-hmm. And Regina King is going to Ooh. play her. <laughs> yes. So many black icons, man, that yeah. play black roles, in my opinion. That's yep. good. Not only teaching I've history, I've seen a clip just... of it, and <laughs> she is looking just like Shirley Chisholm. <laughs> and... That's Shirley right there. As a matter of fact, it looked like this same picture. That's the same picture of her. Yeah. Yeah. So, Shirley Chisholm was born Shirley Anita St. Peel. Um, She was born November 30th, 1924, in Brooklyn, New York. She died January 1st. 2005. Was getting a little good life. <laughs> in Ormond Beach, Florida at the age of 80, where I want to be. <laughs> she, um, I want to say she was the first, I'm going to continue, and I know she was, the first 
black female representative at the house in the house of representatives mm-hmm. so um and give, she served in that position from 1969 to 1983. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so give it up for miss uh shirley chisholm welcome <laughs> to the stage welcome, welcome. we're going to talk a little bit about her <laughs> yep she's affiliated with the democratic party mm-hmm. this is uh, like these first two is based about politics some political figures I'm gonna say her in this fro is iconic. <laughs> yeah, and it's really one of fro. That just like it's um, like, like that's a pretty good hairstyle. Yeah, it's, it's curls it's, and stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's like loose like, curls in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, like salon loose curls, like something mm-hmm. that definitely give around that time that a lot of salons would have done. But anywho, introduce her. <laughs> so she was an American again, American uh, politician for the and the first African American woman to be elected to the United States congress so shirley st hill was the daughter of immigrants her father was from british guyana mm-hmm. now guyana and her mother was uh, from barbados she grew up in barbados in her native brooklyn new york um and graduated from brooklyn college in 1946. Brooklyn mm-hmm. Rihanna from Barbados. Yeah, Rihanna from Barbados. So Barbados. she grew up in Bar- Barbados, and I guess, you know, her and her family at moved some to, point moved to Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, while teaching nursery school and serving as director of the Friends State Nursery in Brooklyn, she studied elementary educa- education at Columbia University. She got a master's degree in 1951 and married Conrad, Conrad Q. Chisholm in 1949. They divorced in 1977. Mm. An education consultant for New York City's daycare division, she was also active with community and political groups, including the National Association for Advancement of Colored People, of course, the NAACP, mm-hmm. and her District Unity Democratic Club. Uh, in 1964 to 1968, she represented her Brooklyn district in the New York State Legislature. Oh. Go ahead, Shirley. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I feel so good. I'm going to represent where I came from. Right. In 1968, Chisholm was elected to the United States House of Representatives, defeating the civil rights leader, James Palmer. Mm-hmm. In Congress, she quickly became known as a strong liberal who opposed weapons development and the war in Vietnam and favored full employment proposals. As a candidate for the Democratic nomination for United States president in 1972. So, a black female, Shirley Chisholm, ran for president in 1972. Exactly. Uh-huh. So, she did win 152 delegated uh, delegates before withdrawing from the race. You know, before withdrawing from the race. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she has some support. Picture, picture, picture. Oh. Mm-hmm. As Shirley Chisholm right there. Here's a picture of her here. And mm-hmm. Chisholm, a founder of the National Women's Political Caucus, supported the Equal Rights Amendment. And she had an autobiographer, an autobiography. autobiography. Yeah. Um, Unbought and Unbossed. That was in 1970, and The Good Fight in 1973. I wonder if those two books still exist. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. Because I kind of keep wanting to uh, buy and read them. <laughs> so I say let's 
give it up for the first two people we just gave some recognition to. And that is Thurgood Marshall and Shirley Chisholm. Yeah. Always excited to read uh, about those two people for sure. But we only halfway done. You thought we'd just go be doing two? Nope, nope, nope. We got no. <laughs> three more people that we're going to be talking about. <laughs> so I'm very excited about this, especially if I'm one of them because. They you want to do him? Not, well, I'll let you read this in my opinion because I like to read a voice better than mine. But <laughs> specifically, <laughs> have a fond memory about this specific individual. And uh, we will talk about that afterwards by taking a short little break. And we'll be right back. I swear my mom gets so crunk when it comes to this little five-second beat. <laughs> it is five seconds. I know. But anywho, the person that we're going to be talking about is Alvin Ailey. Junior. And, <laughs> yeah, Alvin He's Ailey a junior. junior. And uh, he was born in January, January 5th, uh, 1931. And he died basically December 1st, 1989. Yeah. So, and... um. You want to tell about the story behind this before we uh, tell about our memory with this individual, in my opinion? Um, she was at a dance school mm-hmm. in um, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and we had the opportunity to go see Alvin Ailey Dancers in Dallas, Texas. It was amazing. <laughs> I couldn't see that well as at that age. Anyway. When we were up, yeah, we were I, up pretty I did, high. I did like the position of where yeah, we were. Yeah, yeah, I'm not mad about that. I just had to really squint just to really yeah. enjoy my time. I really didn't know her eyes was as bad as <laughs> it was at that time until I taken her to the eye doctor. Yeah. So, so um, specifically, I re- I do remember like seeing the dancers. I remember the orchestra as well being there. So, see, I remember a few things, but specifically uh, seeing a lot of um, me. Up there, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. And just uh, yeah, seeing representation. Well, dance were they were doing a lot of they, dances they, in one. You know, with them, all of their dance, all of their dance routines have uh, a theme. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, and I, I know I, one of the biggest ones is called the Revelation. Yeah, and then they just it's it's just like whatever it's about. If it, they can say, okay, this is about uh, I think freedom. Yeah, I think you know. they were doing, like, around-the-world stuff because I think they did, like, all different styles of dance in, like, that whole showing. Because I remember African dance. I remember, like, yeah. traditional, like, Chinese dancing as well that they did. I could have sworn anyway, but... Uh, no, that's why you couldn't see. No, <laughs> when all Chinese dance on. Still, though, it, I think it was just cultural dancing <laughs> that was happening I think it was, it was more or less the colorful outfits that they had on yeah, at Maybe, that time. maybe. I know yeah. it's all red. I ain't crazy about that. Right. But <laughs> anyway... It was, it was good. And it was really, really good. I, uh, my mom you were young, though. Yeah, I was really young. I was like seven years old. Yeah, so you really, really didn't understand Alvin Ailey and How his big it was contrib- until yeah. like later on in my life, of course. Right, his contribution that the older girls did because they was asking the dancers questions yeah. afterwards. They, they, did they got the opportunity to, to talk to them. Yeah. And, yeah. and that I know that was probably like a really life changing thing. It was inspiring yeah. for them. Yeah, it but, was really good. Uh, I, we bought merch. <laughs> we did. Yeah. I, I bought abonated T-shirts. You can still wear that shirt. Have, it's a storage. Yeah, I, I can't wear the, my jacket no more, but I still have right. it because it's a token. It's that's memorable to me. Yeah. Even though I cut thumb holes in it because I was uh, just a destructive child, <laughs> I still uh, still have that jacket. <laughs> I still have that jacket, and um, I I'm not gonna throw that away. I will 
vacuum I think sealer. I still have the bag. Yeah. That they they, um, <laughs> they put mean, the items in. But you probably think to yourself, for the people that probably do not know who Ivan Ailey Jr. is, who is this man? Why are y'all praising him so high? Well, mother, let's read about him, okay? Okay. So, Ivan Ailey. Alvin Ailey Jr. was born in Rogers, Texas, the only child of working-class parents who separated when he was two. Um, he was a dancer and chore- dancer and choreographer. Alvin Ailey moved to Los Angeles with his mother in 1942. Shy from his itinerant Texas life, Alan Ailey reluctantly turned to dance when a high school classmate introduced him to Lester Horton's Hollywood studio in 1949. He poured himself into study and developed a weighty, smoldering performance style that suited his athletic body. Mm-hmm. Ailey moved to New York in 1954 to dance with partner Carmen uh, Devlin. Devil- Devil- I would say Yeah, we're going to leave it at that. We'll spell it out. Uh, in the Broadway production of House of Flowers. Okay. Performing success and studying with leading modern dance and ballet teachers Martha Graham, Doris Humphrey, Charles Whiteman, and Carl Harold Shook led Ailey um, to found his own dance theater company in 1958, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. A-A-A-D-T. There's too many A's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, began. You went back. Okay, began as a repertoire company of seven dancers devoted to both modern dance, classics, and new and new works created by Aileen and other young artists. So the critically successful first concerts in 1958 and 1960 marked the beginning of a new era of dance performance devoted to African-American themes. Mm-hmm. Blue Sweet, 1958, set in and around a barrel house, depicts the desperation of joys of life on the edge of poverty in the South. Highly theatrical and immediately accessible, the dance contains sections of early 20th century social dances. Horton dance technique, Jack Code-inspired jazz dance and ballet partnering. Early performances of Revelations, nineteen sixty, and I think that's what they brought. That's back. what that's what it was. I yeah, that's what they so. brought back. Established eighties company as the foremost dance interpreter of African American experience. The dance quickly became the company's signature ballet, eclipsing previous concert attempts at dancing to sacred black music, set to a series of spirituals and gospel selections arranged by Brother. John Sellers' Revelations depicts a spectrum of black religious worship, including richly sculpted group prayer. I've been booked, I've been buked, as far as rebuked, mm-hmm. a ceremony of ritual baptism, weighed in the water. Yeah, I remember that one. A moment of introverted private communion, I want to be ready. A duet of trust and support for a minister and devotee, Fix Me, Jesus. And the, a final celebratory gospel exclamation, rock of my soul in the bosom of Abraham. <laughs> and I want to say that we see all of those performances we because did, it, it just sounds that, so familiar. I'm going to say it is because that's the whole concept of uh, the revelation like of the okay. uh, 
whole thing. So I'll probably leave a link in the description if you all have like any time on your hands just I to watch the full performance say, yeah. from head to toe. Yeah. So yeah. that'll be a good idea. Yeah, I'll leave that down in the description of not only the audio version but also the video versions. So. Okay. Several Ailey dances uh, established precedents for American dance. Feast of Ashes in 1962, created for the Harkness Ballet, is acknowledged as the first successful point ballet choreographed by a modern dancer. In 1966, Ailey contributed dances to the New York Metropolitan Opera's inaugural production at Lincoln Center. Samuel Barber's Antony and Cleopatra. Hmm. Mm. In 1970, he created The River for the American Ballet Theater, set to an original score commissioned from Duke Ellington. Mm. Mm. This ballet convincingly, convincingly fused theatrical jazz, dancing, and ballet technique. In 1971, Ellie created the staging for Leonard Bernstein's rock-influenced mass, which opened the newly built Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So he was really good. This is a lot of stuff on right. him. This man has done a lot. <laughs> Major distinctions and honors follow Ailey throughout his choreographic career, which spanned the creation of more than 50 dances for his own company, the American Ballet Theater, the Joffrey Ballet, the oh. Paris Opera, uh-huh, Opera Ballet, the London Festival Ballet, and the Royal Danish Ballet. The way I heard about all of them in the same sentence. Okay. Right. <laughs> Among his many awards were honorary doctorates in fine arts from Princeton University, Bard, Bard College or Baird College, B-A-R-D, Adelphi University, and Cedar Crest College, a United Nations Peace Medal, and an NAACP Spikman Medal in 1976 and 1988. He was celebrated by the President of the United States for a lifetime of achievement in the arts at the Kennedy Center Honors. That's so nice. That's real nice right there. That's good. He at least got his chance to get his awards yep. while he was still alive. Yep. That's good. Always good to hear my opinion. Uh, so, in its earliest years, the AAADT spent much time on the road touring and bringing dance to a large audience of people who had never heard of concert performance. This largely African-American audience provided a wellspring of support, essentially to the Ailey Enterprise. The AAADT established a vast international reputation through a series of tours begun in 1962 by a five-month engagement in Southeast Asia mm-hmm. and Australia. Sponsored by the International Exchange Program under the Kennedy administration, this tour established a pattern of performance in foreign countries that continued with a trip to Rio de Janeiro in 1963, a European tour including London, Hamburg, and Paris in 1964, an engagement at the World Festival of Negro Arts in Dakar, Senegal in 1966, a 16-week European tour including a Holland Festival in Amsterdam 1967, a visit to Israel August of 1967, a U.S. State Department-sponsored nine-nation tour of Africa that was also in 1967, and a performance at the Edinburgh Festival in Scotland in 1968. In 1970, the AAADT became the first American modern dance company to perform 
in the post-war Soviet Union. The company retained peerless stature as a Turin ambassador of goodwill beginning in, in the 1970s. High points included a prize-winning performance at the International Dance Festival in Paris in 1970, a second Far East tour in 1977, a Brazil tour in 1978, and several command performances for heads of state and royalty. By 2004, the AAADT had been seen by some 19 million people worldwide. That's a lot. I'm like, this man likes to travel here. <laughs> But in general, like, in order for people to see you, it's not right. like they had YouTube or anything right, like right, that. Right, right, right. You so had to the word. go. Yeah, you had to go. Yeah. You had to go to the people. Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking at, I'm like, this ain't company members. I'm like, trying to talk about the people in the company. Yeah, I know. Um, her last name is Jameson. She took over after he passed away. Oh, okay. She was a dancer of his. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm just scrolling through this anyway, just in general. Go back down. Let me go back up. Let me see. Specifically. Uh, is a school and outreach. Yeah. Like I said, that's about company members. So let's go Let's go to the company members. Okay. I, they, she may be in here. She Hopefully may not. she gets mentioned. Yeah, I haven't read Excuse it. Excuse me, I'll okay, cut that out. <laughs> that burp. So Ailey encourages dancers to present individualized and highly emotional performances, a strategy. Yeah, she's she's been spoken right here. A okay. strategy that created the first series of star personalities in American modern dance. Judith Jameson's electrifying performance of Cry presented a coherent relationship between the dancing body and the experience of living as a black woman in America. Created in 1971 as a birthday present for Ailey's mother, Lula Cooper Cry has been successfully assumed by several dancers, uh, most notably Donna Wood, Renee Robinson, Sarah Yarbor Yarborough, and Nasha Thomas. In 1972, Ailey created the, I guess, Elegiac, Elegiac, Elegiac um, yeah. solo Love Songs for dancer Dudley Williams, revived in 1993 by dancer Michael Joy. Dancer Gary Deloach, I heard of Michael a long-time principal with the company, brought an eloquent intensity to his roles, especially as the pusher in Tally Beatty's Stack Up, 1983, and as Charlie Parker in, in 80s For Bird with Love, 1984. Innumerable uh, significant dance personalities have passed through the AAA DT, including Marilyn Banks, Hope Clark, Carmen, we're going to try to say her last name, <laughs> George Faison, Miguel Gaudreau, Dana Hash, Linda Kent, Dwight Roden, Desmond Richardson, Kevin, I'm going to try to say his last name, Elizabeth Roxas, Matthew Russian, Clive Thompson, James Truitt, Andre Tyson, and Sylvia Waters. So we will leave this uh the link as far as that yeah up in because there. It's, it's a lengthy one this this probably would have took the whole podcast episode just yeah. to read it but we but, got we got two other women that we really want yeah, to give yeah, give yeah. some flowers to. yeah yeah so uh you want to take a break mama yeah all right let's take a break and we'll be right back all right the next person that we are going to be talking about is katherine johnson and one of her quotes like what you do and then you would do your best. Mm -hmm. 
So, Catherine, okay, oh, we, we need to zoom in because this font yeah. is thin. <laughs> zoom, zoom. Okay. Closer, closer. Right. When I start talking about this young lady, you're going to understand where I'm coming from. And I will tell you the movie that was brought about because of her and this other young lady that I'm going to talk about. Mm -hmm. So mathematician and computer scientist Katherine Johnson was born in 1918 in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Her mother was a teacher and her father was a farmer and janitor. From a young age, Johnson counted everything and could easily solve mathematical equations. She attended West Virginia State High School and graduated from high school at age 14. What? Yes. Johnson received <laughs> yeah, a Bachelor of Science degree in French and Mathematics in 1937 from West Virginia State University, formerly West Virginia State College. Johnson was one of the first African Americans to enroll in the mathematics program at West Virginia University. Nerdy mm -hmm. yes. pants, my fault. I keep clicking on things. Yeah, talking to me. I no, I keep trying to push the, the down button and it keeps going to this beta testing section. <laughs> but anyway. So after college, Johnson began teaching in elementary and high schools in Virginia and West Virginia. In 1953, she joined Langley Research Center as a research mathematician for the National Advisory Committee of Aeronautics, NACA, where she put her mathematics skills to work. She calculated the trajectory for Alan Shepard, the first American in space, even after NASA began using electronic computers. Now, mm -hmm. They using electronic computers. Mm -hmm. John Glenn requested that she personally recheck the calculations made by the new electronic computer before his flight aboard Friendship 7, the mission on which he became the first American to orbit the Earth. She continued to work as NASA, at NASA until 1986, combining her math talent with electronic computer skills her calculations proved critical to the success of the Apollo moon landing mm. program at the start of the space shuttle program. Now, if you don't know who I'm talking about right now, go back and look at Hit the Figures <laughs> because this is what this movie was based on. Mm -hmm. Her and Dorothy Vagan. Vagan. I'm hoping I'm saying her last name right. V-A-U-G-H-A-N. Johnson, who co-authored 26 scientific papers, has been the recipient of NASA's Lunar Spacecraft and Operations Group Achievement Award and NASA's Apollo Group Achievement Award. On November 24, 2015, she received the nation's highest civilian award, the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Barack H. Obama. There's a three-minute video on this website if y'all are willing to just take y'all time out mm -hmm. and just little little recap on her. That's real cute. We got outer space right there. She has a book, Reaching for the Moon, and it's on Amazon. Uh, it's about her young upbringing, about mm -hmm. uh, her like in math. I'm just skimming through it while talking, <laughs> and uh, specifically. Uh, she skipped several. They ain't say she skipped a grade. They say no. she skipped several grades and was soon studying <laughs> complex equations with the support of a professor who saw great promise in her. Wow. I must say the kid's smart. Definitely smart. <laughs> she need to be in smart school, not here. <laughs> not in this basic school. That. She did. And 
what's it? Yeah, I think it was her that I said she lived to be 101 years old. Yeah. She lived good life. <laughs> yeah. As I will put it, she lived good life. Mm-hmm. I always say that in my opinion because when you hit past like age 80 and like just live beyond after that, either with or without health, health issues or you died in a bad way, whatever, in my opinion. Somebody could write a catalog about you, a whole collection book yeah. about you alone. You're going to live over half a century. That's a, the, And you achieved so much and done so much, you could talk about stuff from head to toe yeah. about your experience. You've seen so things. much. It's, it, that, that, You've seen so much. In my opinion, when I want to live like that, in my opinion, someone has to write about my life and take time yeah. for each section to do that. And in my opinion, that's like the background of living a good life. So... This is about that woman, and um, yeah, <laughs> we're gonna talk about the next person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dorothy. Right. This Dorothy is Dorothy. Her flowers. All right, this is Miss Dorothy. How you say her last name? I want to say Vaughn. 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 Yes, yeah, because it's they put an H and an A in there. Well, if you think of Van Gogh, I mean, this like almost a similar pronunciation, just replaced like nah, the. Say, o. I'm gonna say Vaughn. I, I think it's Vaughn as well. Pregnant. So she was born on September 20th, 1910, and she died November 10th, 2008. Mm-hmm. And no. what I think she I, was. I just need to see. All right. Yeah. She lived to a young old age of 98. That is good life yeah. right there. They was doing her and um, Catherine was doing some good things mm-hmm. to, to live that long. Mm-hmm. So um, she's also an American mathematician and computer programmer who made important contributions to the early years of the United States space, space program. Trust me, know her. She's a part of Hidden Figures as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this goes too far? Mm-mm. Okay. And who was the first African-American manager at the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, which later became part of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA. Okay. So in 1917, Johnson's family moved from Missouri to West Virginia. She later earned a degree in mathematics in 1929 from Wilberforce University. We did say something about Wilberforce. We did something about that. We did. Near uh, Xenia, Ohio. She worked as a math teacher in Virginia and married Howard S. Boggan. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, cute. In December 1943, whoa, you scrolled up too much. <laughs> no, it jumped. I'm like, whoa! I think it was because of the ad. This um, is it. She started okay. working for NACA's West Area Computing Unit, a group of African American female mathematicians who were considered human computers, mm-hmm. performing complex computations and analyzing data for Aerosmith engineers. The West computers, as the women were known, provided data that were later essential to the success of the early U.S. space program. At the time, NACA was segregated. Mm. Look at the movie, Hidden Figures. Okay. I'm just telling you. I recommend you watch these history movies about us, okay? (laughs) And black employees were forced to use separate bathrooms and dining facilities despite their conditions. Vaughan was promoted to lead the West Computers in 1949. She became NACA's first black supervisor and one of its few female supervisors. Maybe this is a couple. Always become a part oh, of something like that. Definitely. Of definitely. 
Anyway, let's keep it pushing. So, uh... It keeps jumping because it's ads. I was like, like, stop it. Morgan served as head of the West Computers until 1958 when NCA was incorporated into the newly created NASA. NACA was uh, incorporated into the newly created NASA, which closed the segregated facilities. Vaughan and many other West computers then joined the NASA Analysis and Computation Division, a group made up of men and women of all races. By then, the space program had begun using electronic computers, and uh, Vaughan became an expert at Fortran, mm. a computer programming language used for scientific and algebraic application she retired from nasa in 1971 fortran mm-hmm. i had an opportunity to just really get into some of the things but i just did dos or maybe writing some programming when you get into fortran that is something just really way beyond my my um caliber of knowledge <laughs> But I'm just saying. I mean, cre- I just pulled a Fortran on this thing, and I'm reading through it. I'm like, okay, so look at it. Fortran is computer programming language created in 1957 by John Backus that shortened the process of programming and made computer programming more accessible. The creation of Fortran, which debuted in 1957, marked a significant stage in the development of computer programming languages. Previous programming was written in machine first-generation language or assembly second-generation language, which require the programmer to write instructions in binary or hexadecimal arithmetic. Frustration with the uh, arduous nature of the programmer led backers to search for a simple, more accessible way to communicate with computers. So they had to do coding by hand. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I mean, you just, you had like to... Like, write it down and you try to and figure out... And then put it out. in the computer and then you had to mathematically yeah, figure out so how you're going to make that computer... Make the computer function the way you want mm-hmm. to with doing mm-hmm. that, but they, and by making this anyway for a more uh, modern, simpler version. You ain't looking at computers like that. Yeah. You're looking at the big computers like big, with, big. The, <laughs> with the big buttons and mm-hmm. the big beep beep mm-hmm. and all this other stuff going on. And you got to go read that too. That coding that yeah. comes with that. Watch hidden figures because you would see the big computers that she was. She had to go in and see, and then. With her, she trained her team, her black, as she called her, her girls. She trained them. Every, she showed them everything they were showing her, mm-hmm. and she figured it out. Mm-hmm. She taught it to her girls. Mm. All right. Because <laughs> she was like, she wasn't leaving her girls behind like that. You know, when they shut that down, they had somewhere else to go because they had the knowledge mm-hmm. with them. They, mm-hmm. they can do things other people could not do. All right, let's get back to her. Oh, here we go. In 2016, a book by Margot L. I'm sorry, Margot Lee Shetterly, Hidden Figures, The American Dream, and the Untold Story of the Black Women Mathematicians Who Helped Win the Space Run, Space Race, drew attention to the contribution of Vagan, Vagan, and other West computers, including Katherine Johnson and Mary Jackson. The book was made into an acclaimed film in which Vaughan was played by Octavia Spencer. Hmm. Taraji is, is in there, too. Yeah. <clears throat> that's Catherine Johnson mm-hmm. that we just mm-hmm. keep. And that's her right there, too. Uh-huh. That, 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 that's the old picture right there. Once again, she still look good. <laughs> yeah. 
technically that would be 101 years old. That's, that's good right there. That's good life. Look, 101. 101. Look at that. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's it. Alrighty. That is it. Because, well, like I said, these websites are lengthy. And we we talked about five people in one podcast episode that contributed a lot and even associated with a movie about yeah, and them. This this episode maybe what about 45, 50 minutes. Maybe? I'll say like fifty five ish to like an hour. We'll see about it for okay. editing purposes. But right. I would say I have learned a lot and mm-hmm. maybe even put in the roster of movies that I'll probably watch in the future. I'm right. not gonna say Marshall, when. <laughs> figures. Surely. I'm I'm not going to say when because I'm not an advocate movie watcher, but if I have, like, just time on my hands and I just just pull up a movie, then I'll just... Then go back and pull up some Alvin Ailey videos. I miss watching a lot of Alvin Ailey stuff because I remember I used to do that a lot when I was... had the knowledge of who that man was Mm -hmm. anyway and what contributions Mm -hmm. he's done uh, for not only our community, but also bringing Shed a Light to his own interpretations of uh, different styles of dance. So... I personally really enjoyed doing this episode and just to have a little fun with black history and just uh, talking about these people and stuff like that. I, I just I just get so blessed. And I want to say talk about these people. I say talk about our people. I agree. And their contributions yeah, that they I made. Agree. Yeah. Uh, any just little more tidbits before we close out this episode? I just like the fact that we are able to have this platform and not uh, be limited to what we want to discuss. Mm-hmm. You know, we put out some good information to people. Most of the time, people probably, you know, yeah, I know Thurgood Marshall, but do you know Thurgood Marshall? Mm-hmm. You know, and that just was what we did was just a little tidbit. Yeah. You know? And like I said, the longer version, of course, will always be on our blog post page, of course. Right. Right. And um, it'll be like just research purposes. Oh, and also for information and credit purposes, credits to all Definitely the websites there. down in the description. And then some, check out the description. I create the description, make it look pretty for a reason. Click on the links and look at the stuff, please and thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to, you know, just really, really talk a little bit more about Thurgood Marshall bring people attention to Shirley Chisholm because mm-hmm. most people don't know that she was the first black mm-hmm. representative to the house yeah. or representative, the it, first black female. Yeah. You know, you've seen those females that was elected back and I want to say um, maybe in 2016 or something like that. You know, I can't remember what they called them at that time, but this woman ran for president of the United States. Mm-hmm. She got 152 delegate votes but she stopped running or whatever. She had the knowledge. She she was able to make a mark, mm-hmm. you know, when it came down to politics mm-hmm. and doing things. Just like Thurgood Marshall, landmark cases. Landmark cases that I know for sure they using in law school. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they pulling those. We are going to pull up Pleasant versus Ferguson, and we'll um, probably... I probably just do a blog post on Plessy versus Ferguson. Maybe and, also and, do and a, that, Brown versus Board of Education, giving like history lesson on that too. Right, a little tidbit. But um, I personally enjoy just doing this with uh, y'all and just uh, yeah. giving insight. Not only for me as a shock, but also I recommended to my mom to pull up Alvin Ailey just to 
really just look at his discography and I'm like, if y'all if y'all click on the website and y'all see this bar is this tiny, this man done a lot for the dance community in my opinion, yeah. especially for us in yeah. my opinion. And his legacy yeah. is living on and on and on through the dancers that keep in my coming, opinion. coming through his uh, his academy. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're there. His dancers, who he was their choreographer, his right. dancers, like I think Judith Jameson, She's taken on the road of continuing his legacy. Mm -hmm. So someone is going to take on her road and continue that legacy. So it's it's going to be just a continuous circle, right? You know, with with what he's done for um for the dance, yeah, and modern I, dance. Yeah, anyway, I always wanted to like do a research, anything on that. I'm like, who? Good luck. That's all I had right. to because it's so much. It is. You so had much. to like cram so little yeah, into like and just I did. a and little I, paper. I didn't even. I barely touched yeah. on, on him, you know, yeah. in that period of time. But still, though, just on your own accord, take a look at those websites and just our blog post, too, if you want the shortened version of everything. Yeah. And uh, we're going to take a break, and we're going to end this podcast episode. Alrighty, folks, if you have enjoyed this podcast episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and also uh, like this video and comment down below uh, just random facts either about your own black history your specifically people that you personally like in black history that right. you just want to give some acknowledgement to because in my opinion certain people obviously you hear all some of these people that are behind right. us as you well hear them, often. them all the time but we was trying to bring in some people that's not on this board that's why we said mm -hmm. Catherine Johnson mm -hmm. is she up here? I don't know I don't uh, think so. Nope. I'm like, I don't think so. But specifically, uh, you can also listen to the audio version on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also go to our website, which is www.whatsthetopicagain.com. Um, specifically, uh, stay warm in these winter streets. Because, it's getting warm outside. Yeah. You just have to make sure that... Because spring is about to be coming. Spring is coming. Spray your house down because <laughs> the bugs are just ready to come along. Oh, don't talk about <laughs> <laughs> because we need to start spraying again. I know that that's, that's more sense. <laughs> I'm going to choke y'all out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least uh, they already changed the scent of their stuff, so right. that's a good thing. Still kill, though. Yeah. Uh, specifically, any final notes, Mama? Well, I just want to uh, continue Black History beyond Black History Month. Yeah. So we say we'll still be um, making those contributions mm -hmm. and recognizing people you know, even when Black History Month is over with, give them like 10, 15 minutes of our time mm -hmm. and just continue to recognize them mm -hmm. in every podcast. Yeah, That's I, what agree. I, I agree, I agree. And um, stay tuned specifically because the person that we're talking about, we're just trying to find the right day and right time to yeah. record. And um, trust me, I feel like they're going to give us really good insight on our yeah. history for sure. And then some, because a lot of our family have made a lot of contributions to certain things in history. And she, I know she's always willing to share. She always wanted to be on the podcast, too. She wants too. to share now. <laughs> she always wanted to be on the podcast. So I'm very excited to bring her along and just uh, ask her a couple questions, like it's an interview style. So, like I said, stay tuned and subscribe to the channel. So, uh, yeah, we will see you guys next week. Hope you guys have an amazing rest of y'all week. See you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>